But 2018, ready or not, here we come. It's here and there's no turning it back, right? A brand new start to a brand new year, yet many might find that thought a bit discouraging. Why? Why would a new year be discouraging when all it has to offer? Empty, futile, hollow, fake. These are words that ring of disappointment. Yet for many of us in this room, these words describe our daily life in our daily routine. Empty, futile, hollow, fake. Hmm. We desperately grasp for the uh, things that we think will kind of make life more interesting or free us from the boredom. And so we grasp for these things, possessions and power and pleasure. But when we... uh, finally can get our arms around them we find it's a bogus sham they're really pretty meaningless Hmm. and life is for the most part for many underneath the facade that we all have it's pointless and it's meaningless that's sad Almost 3,000 years ago, a man named Solomon spoke of this dilemma because it was going on in his heart as well. And although it was nearly 3,000 years ago, his insights and understanding are as current as the front page of today's Sheboygan Press or the first byline on your phone's USA Today app, whatever it might read. You see, in the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, Solomon tackles uh, many of these kinds of questions, life's difficult questions. Hmm. And what I really like about the book of Ecclesiastes, and it is one of my favorite books in the Bible, is that he wrote with bluntness, with honesty, with transparency, with openness, and he pondered the issues of life like uh, fairness and emptiness and happiness and suffering and purpose. Why are we here? He addresses those in this book. He addresses the questions that are on the tip of our tongues from time to time. For all of us, we all ask ourselves these kinds of questions. You know those kinds of questions. Those things that, that kind of plague you in the middle of a sleepless night. Like, what am I doing here? What's the purpose in all of this? Is there any method to this madness we call life? In those questions, just and we push them back down, and we wonder, okay, I got to get to work, I got to do this, I got to do that, got to make the next appointment. But underneath are these questions that kind of rumble around inside of our souls. Questions like, where can I find happiness? Why does my life seem so pointless? Why am I here? Where am I going? How do I fit into God's plan? Why is life so unfair? Why do I feel so alone being surrounded by so many people? Why does my work seem so much like work? Why am I not healthy, wealthy, and wise? Isn't that the promise? Why is it so hard to manage my money? Does money really bring happiness? These and all kinds of other questions. So over the next months, we'll search the pages of the book of Ecclesiastes to try to find some meaning to some of these questions can be very difficult. They're challenging. I encourage you to bring a friend. We're going to search the scriptures together to see what answers we can find from the book of Ecclesiastes. Find divine directives for everyday dilemmas, answers to some of these things. And these talks are geared for the person who is searching for answers. Solomon was searching. I am searching for answers. How about you? You searching for answers? Or you got it all together and all figured out? 
Well, ready to dig in? First, let's find the book of Ecclesiastes in our Bibles. And for those of you who have brought a Bible, I encourage you to use it. Uh, ushers, by the way, if you're ready, uh, if any of you need sermon notes, could you just raise your hand if you'd like to follow along? Good. And kind of keep your hand up till the ushers get to you. Great. So the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, let me begin, and this will be kind of be a foundational message uh, to this series. So we want to cover things like when it was written and authorship and all that kind of stuff. So let's tackle that right off the bat. Let me tell you a little bit about the man who wrote this book. The author never does identify himself in the book. He doesn't say who his name is. But from my study, uh, I believe it was Solomon. Solomon. Why would I say that? As I look into the text, uh, chapter 1, verse 12, I, the teacher, was king of Israel and lived in Jerusalem. And then in verse 1 of chapter 1, he says, I was King David's son. That kind of narrows it down, doesn't it? Now, understand both the Hebrew name of the book and its author. Both the name of the book and the author are the same name in Hebrew. The word is Koheleth. Koheleth. Koheleth is actually a title. It's a title both for the book and for the author. The Hebrew word literally means assembler. Assembler of students, assembler of listeners. Or the Hebrew name can mean collector like of wise sayings. So if we put those two together, uh, we've got an assembler of students or listeners listening to a collection of wise sayings. That's what the book of Ecclesiastes is. That's who the author is. So uh, depending on your version or translation of the Bible, uh, the author is called the philosopher or the preacher or my personal choice, most accurate, I think, is the word teacher. And that's why he says, I, the teacher... Okay, does that all make sense to you so far? So that Hebrew word Koheleth is the name of the book and the title of the author. Make sense to you? So we're beginning with a very foundation here. Now, uh, Solomon was the son of King David and Bathsheba. Correct. He succeeded his father to the throne of Israel nearly 30 centuries ago while he was still a teenager. So those of you who are younger people, imagine becoming the king of a nation as a teenager. Solomon's reign as king of Israel uh, went from about 970 to 930 B.C. That puts it kind of in its place in history. The book of Ecclesiastes was written toward the end of his reign, about 935 B.C. So a long time ago, but the stuff he's writing about are as current as... (laughs) What's happening right in our lives today? Under his leadership, Israel became the most powerful earth on nation. Uh, Powerful earth, nation on the earth. Let me say that right. It was, in fact, the golden age of Israel. It was. And Israel has never seen that kind of power or influence since and won't, in my opinion, until the end days. But under his leadership, Things were popping. God used Solomon to build the long-awaited temple. Remember that? David could not build it. Why could David not build the temple? He was a warrior. He had blood on his hands. So God said, uh-uh, not your job. You assemble the stuff. Somebody else going to put it together. That was his son Solomon. Solomon was blessed with great wisdom. We'll talk about that in a future message. In fact, he was the wisest person to ever live on the earth. That's what the Bible says. He was the ultimate wise guy, right? He had great wisdom. He studied, taught, ruled, and wrote a lot. 
He wrote a lot. In fact, in the Bible it says he wrote more than 3,000 proverbs or wise sayings. He wrote more than 1,000 songs. So, a very accomplished author. He had over 1,000 women at his command. Now, here's a guy who had it all. He had smarts. He had power. He had influence. He had wealth. He had women. He had everything. Everything that we so desperately think that if we had this, our lives would be full and complete. He did have it. Yet in spite of all that he had going for him, Solomon failed to follow his own advice. That's what's intriguing to me. me. He came to a point in his life where everything, he said, was pointless. This is foolish. This is dumb. It's fake. It's not real. And though Solomon had followed God for decades, had seen God do incredible miracles, late in life he fell away. And let that be a warning for all of those of us who have followed Jesus faithfully for years. Here is a guy who followed God and yet fell away at the end. Be very, very careful lest we fall. Just because we've followed God a long time doesn't mean it's going to end that way. And it's not so important how we started as it is how we finish with Jesus. Now, part of Solomon's political success had come through marriage arrangements with foreign royalty. And that's kind of the way things worked. You want an alliance with a nation, you intermarried with them. But Solomon knew that the Lord had forbidden his people to marry those outside the faith. Don't marry foreigners. He made that very, very clear in scripture. And Solomon knew at that point he was playing with fire. And here's what happened toward the end of his life. Out of his love for his wife, Solomon began to build shrines for their idols. To please his wives, he personally participated in the worship of those idols. The weaker then pulls down the stronger. And let me just chase a little rabbit trail here for a moment because I think it's important. The weaker will pull down the stronger. And time and time again in my years in ministry, I've heard this. Oh, I'm going to go ahead and marry him because I know that even though he's not a Jesus follower, by my witness, uh, he or she will come around and they'll follow too. (laughs) You know how often that works out? Not very often. In fact, it's happened in my own family, and it didn't work. It didn't work. Okay? The weaker will pull down the stronger. Paul would jump to the New Testament and say, uh, bad company corrupts good morals. So just because we think, oh, yeah, I'm walking to the power of the Lord, that's all well and good, and I, and I praise God for that. But often the weaker will pull down the stronger, and this is what happened in Solomon's life. Beware. Each of the idols were connected with horrible practices, just disgusting practices. For example, both the idols, Kamash and Molech, required human sacrifice of children or infants as a part of their worship, and wise old Solomon was fully aware of what was going on. It changed the trajectory of his life and ultimately changed the trajectory of the entire nation of Israel. Here's how 1 Kings 11 summarizes it. Solomon had 700 wives of royal birth, 300 concubines. In fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. In Solomon's old age, they turned his heart to worship other gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord his God. And we've got idols knocking on our door constantly, demanding our attention and our allegiance. Lessons to learn here. So Solomon introduced much sin into Israel in the name of political success. 
Not the last time it's happened, for sure. Even though God had personally spoken to him on two separate occasions, God personally spoke to Solomon, had given him great wisdom, had given him great wealth, had given him great security. And as a result, the glory days of Israel were short-lived. So Solomon comes to the end of his life, and as the Lord had predicted, the kingdom was split, the wheels came off the bus, and Israel hasn't recovered since. Solomon had two sons. What were their names? And they split the kingdom between them. One was Jeroboam. The other, Rehoboam. And they went to war. And the nation of Israel split. And much of what we see happening in the Middle East today is a result of sin in the camp of God's people. Kind of intriguing, isn't it? Huh. So looking back over his life, Solomon wrote from two perspectives. As he penned these words toward the end of his life, he's writing from two different perspectives. The first is his own. With remorse and regret, he's saying to his readers, you know what, I wish I could go back and do it over again. Have you ever felt like that in life? There's some things I wish I could have done differently. Can I have a do-over? Can somebody give me a mulligan on that thing? I'd like to take another crack at that, right? Doesn't happen, does it? Our past is our past in a part of God's plan. Ah, life's keyboard doesn't have an undo button. Wouldn't it be nice? Oop, whoop, let me take that one back. Undo, right? Wouldn't that be nice? Doesn't work that way, right? So Solomon takes us on a journey of his life, explaining to us that he tested, he tried, he tasted the best the world had to offer, and it all came up short. Doesn't mean much. And so here's what he said in chapter 1, verse 14. I observed everything going on under the sun, and really it's all meaningless like chasing the wind. It's all meaningless like chasing the wind. And this attitude is prevalent among every age group, as we're going to see as this sermon series unfolds, from the oldest to the youngest. And the suicide rate among young people today is growing in epic proportion. Because we're coming to this, it's all meaningless. It's all meaningless. Now, Solomon might appear in the Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. Anybody remember that show? Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, yeah. Yeah, that was an old one, but a good one. He might be on that show because he had it all, but his soul was very, very barren. He hoped to spare those who came after him the bitter pill of the school of hard knocks. You ever tried to communi- communicate that to your kids? Like, let me tell you a story that happened in my life. And they're like, eh. And they got to live it themselves just to experience it. But Solomon's writing, so just listen, I can spare you all kinds of trouble, all kinds of heartbreak in your life if you just listen to what I have to say. I've, I've been down the road, you're trying to go, and man, it goes nowhere. Would you listen to me? So his personal experiences prove to you and me that apart from God, life is a bummer. That's the simple truth. It is pretty meaningless. A life lived outside of God. So Solomon wrote from his own perspective, and we'll look at much of his story. He also wrote from another perspective, the perspective of others, those who journey life's highways and byways without much thought of God. So these folk just kind of go through life uh, without any God awareness in their lives. And he's writing from their perspective. And from their perspective, yeah, life does look kind of meaningless. There isn't a lot of hope here. And he explains that in a couple of words. For these folk, those who journey through life apart from God, he uses two words that are very, very important, or phrases. The first is the phrase, under the sun. It's used 29 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's found nowhere else in the Bible. 
the phrase under the sun. What does that phrase mean? Well, it simply has to do uh, with those who uh, live life like it's a rat race, like eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Like there's nothing beyond the physical. So the phrase under the sun means that which we can experience empirically, right? Through sight, through sound, through touch. Uh, this is this is reality right here. There's nothing beyond this. This is it. So we might as well make the most of it and live it up because after this, we don't exist. And so he's writing from that perspective and that phrase, under the sun, means those who live life like this is all that there is. Make sense to you? Understand that? Okay. The other is the word meaningless, which can be translated vapor or breath. James would pick up on this word in his book. Remember that? Life is but a vapor or but a breath. It's a wisp of smoke. It's here today and gone tomorrow. This word is used 28 times in 12 chapters. That's a lot. 28 times in 12 chapters. So you've got 29 times and 28 times in the 12 chapters. It kind of summarizes the whole book. Hey, uh, uh, everything under the sun is like a wisp of smoke. It's meaningless. So both for God, as he looks at the Lord at the end of his life and writes from his perspective, from the perspective of others... He begins with his conclusion. Chapter 1, verse 2 says this. So he starts the book like this. Meaningless, meaningless, the teacher says. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. You know what he says at the end of the book? Chapter 12, verse 8, just before he gives his conclusion? The exact same words. Meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Now, at first glance, or if you've just kind of done a cursory reading of this book, it appears negative. It's really a pessimistic downer. Or is it? Look at what he wrote. As I looked at everything I worked so hard to accomplish, it was also meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. That's kind of a broad statement, isn't it? There's nothing really worthwhile anywhere. This is a guy who had everything saying this. Then he says, some people work wisely with knowledge and skill most of you in this room, they must leave the fruit of their efforts to someone who hasn't worked for it. This too is meaningless, a great tragedy. Now that'll brighten your day. What a rosy future. Happy New Year, folks. Happy New Year to you too, right? But it only gets worse. For people and animals share the same fate. Both breathe and both must die. So people have no real advantage over the animals. How meaningless. Both go to the same place. They came from the dust. They return to the dust. We all come to the end of our lives as naked and empty-handed as on the day we were born. So I concluded that the dead are better off than the living. But most fortunate of all, those who have not yet been born, for they have not seen all the evil that is done under the sun. Bottom line is, better off, never haven't been here. It's all so meaningless. Boy, that encourages you, doesn't it? This is a good book, one of my favorites, right? This is a real slice of life. Coming through this December, it was amazing to me. The discouragement I heard in people. Christmas, yeah, oh, ha, 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 ha. Yeah, and underneath there is so much pain and so much junk and so much discouragement. Wow, wow. 
Where is this all leading us? What's really going on here? If we're honest, we've all felt like life can be senseless, pointless, fruitless, and hopeless. Unless you're lying. We've all felt like this from time to time. So what do we do? We get restless. We get discontented. We get bored. The grass on the other side starts looking a little bit greener. We begin pacing. Then we begin exploring what's going to give me some meaning and purpose here. And we're all setting ourselves up for a really big letdown. We're going to discover through this book that power, pleasure, money, sex, none of that's going to satisfy, at least over the long haul. Only God can. Only God can. So it's been said that whenever, within every single person is this God-shaped vacuum. Within every person, there's this God-shaped vacuum. Only God can fill this hole in our soul. Now, I believe it because I've tried it. I've tried filling that hole in the soul with other things, other habits, whatever it might be. And I found that I agree with Solomon. Life is pointless except for God. Only he can satisfy over the long haul. That's what we're going to discover over and over again. Only he can make sense of it all. But we need to start our study with the end in mind. We need to start this study, this new series, with the end in mind. What is the end? You have to go to the last verses of the book to discover. And if we try going through this book without the end in mind, we might as well put a gun to our head and get it over with because this is just meaningless, right? Uh Uh-uh, that's not where he ends up. Look at what he says at the end of the book. Chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God, obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. I like the condensed version in the message. The last and final word is this. Fear God, do what he tells you, and that's it. Pretty simple, isn't it? Fear God, do what he tells you. And that's it. Huh. So let me ask you this in conclusion. Right now where you sit, you don't have to answer this. I just want you to ponder this for a moment in your heart. Would you say on a scale your life is meaningful or meaningless? Is your life meaningful or is it meaningless? Which way are your feet pointed? Toward the meaningful or the meaningless part? Yeah, I know. Most of us in here love Jesus and we're all going to heaven and we got all that stuff. I, I, I get all that. I get all that. But I'm asking you, is your life meaningful or are there more days that it feels a little meaningless? Now, don't answer what I didn't ask you. I did not ask you if you're happy. If life makes you happy. Because God is not so interested in you being happy. Just ask Jesus how happy life can be. It can be joyful, incredibly joyful. That's what he's concerned about. The happiness thing, whole different idea. But what I did ask you is this. Is your life meaningful? Or is it meaningless? Stay tuned. We're going to find some meaning here. And we're going to use the book 
of Ecclesiastes in the words of the wisest man who ever lived to answer that question. Going to be a good study. I'm looking forward to it. All right. In just a moment, we're going to take our offering, but before we do, anybody got a question? Not a comment. Sermon's over. But do you have a question about what we've talked about? Everything clear, because we have to build a foundation in order to get where we're going, okay? You understand authorship. You understand some of the words that we use, the basis of the book. You understand all that? Okay, any questions? Yes. Okay, Marlis, great question. What, what, what does it mean to fear God? I want one of you guys to answer that. Because if that's the conclusion of the book, I think that's a very valid question. What does it mean to fear God? Does that mean to be afraid of God? Judy? Okay, the word means awe or respect. I would agree with that answer. The word means awe or respect. So when we fear God, what are we doing? We're honoring him. But how do we honor God? We obey him. Okay, that's a good Christian trite answer. Appreciate that. Okay, just read the Bible more. You're going to be more like Jesus. We recognize his power. What do we have to do? We have to listen and obey. We have to surrender. We just sang it. We have to submit to his will. We have to end ourselves be crucified with Christ and live his life through us. Allow him to do that. So when we say to fear God, that's an an act of surrender, an act of worship, an act of reverence and awe. God is who he says he is. I agree with God in who he says he is. Therefore, I, my identity comes from who I am in him. Am I a child of God? Yeah. Yeah. And that's a great thing. That's not a downer. That's a fantastic thing, right? But that means that the moment by moment, I've got to live for him because he is my life. So fearing God is not being afraid of him. Oh, God, well, I messed up. You're going to whack me again. Nah, it has nothing to do with that. Nothing to do with that. It has to do with loving him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Great question. Good. Anybody else got one? Okay, good. I'm going to invite the ushers and Emily Vilkamp to come up. We uh, worship the Lord through our giving here. If you are visiting with us, we don't want you to feel obligated. We're just glad that you're here. Uh, Emily, you're going to bring mom and dad too? Okay, that's good. This is a part of the Velcamp clan. And this is Emily. She's the star of the show this morning. Can you say hi to Emily? Hi. Good, good. All right, as the ushers pass the plates, we give to the Lord because he's given so much to us. That is our act of worship to him. But I want to make sure you guys can see Emily too. Now, Emily, let's start at the beginning here. This is kind of a long story, but it'll be fun. Um, this spring, like back in March, you were riding your bike. Remember? And what happened when you were riding your bike? I didn't, I didn't want to go to hell, and so I asked Jesus into my heart, and I didn't want Cal to go to hell, and so I, I prayed to God and asked him if he, um, he could go 
with him and with me, and I went over there, and I said, can you ask Jesus in your heart? And he said, yes. Okay, we're going to unpackage this one. This is a really good story. That was fantastic, Emily. Fantastic. Yay, yay. Now, Emily was riding her bike, and she was riding her bike, and the Lord was speaking to her, and she said, I don't want to go to that bad place called hell. I want to go to heaven. So if I'm going to go to heaven, I have to ask Jesus to be my Savior. And you did that, right? And immediately, she started thinking about her neighbor, Cal. How old is Cal? 74. 74 years old. So here's a little girl who has a neighbor, and one of her first thoughts after encountering Jesus is that her neighbor, Cal, her buddy Cal, doesn't know Jesus either. So, what did you do then, Emily? Then I went back home. You went back home, and you, you've been praying for Cal for a long time. You've been praying for your neighbor how long? Three years. Three years. How old are you? Seven. Seven. So, like half your life, okay? <laughs> I wonder if we were praying, praying for our neighbors half our life, what might happen okay no you're doing fantastic yeah you're i'm really proud of you good good all right so you said okay i don't think cal knows jesus so i'm gonna pray for him but i gotta do more than pray for him so did you invite him to church yes but you invited him to church a whole bunch of times didn't you no this is one time oh just the one time well, there's different versions of the story. Don't, don't pay attention to the details. Okay. Yeah, yeah, she's doing great. And back in December, when we had the children's program, he came. Did Cal come to church? Yes. Were you excited to see him? What did you do? Smile. And? Give him a hug. Yeah, like... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it was a long hug, right? Why did you give him a hug? Because he was my buddy. Yeah, and he came to church. And wasn't that exciting? You've been praying for him to come to church for a long time, and he's in church. Did God do that? Did God help you do that? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Did he, God use you? Yes. Yes, he did. Did you bring him lots of Bibles? What Bible story did you tell him? Jesus died on the cross and David and Goliath. And you told him those Bible stories. And you also brought him a couple of Bibles so he could read the Bible too. Because you want him to go to heaven, don't you? Yes. And now Cal's been to church. Did he like it at our church? Yes. Good. Do you think he might come back someday? I don't know. That's right. But you're going to keep praying that he knows Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and Mom, did you go to Cal's house that afternoon? I did. Yeah? Yeah. 
And so it was at a point where Cal would see little Emily walking with a Bible, and he always knew he was going to get preached at that day. <laughs> so she was very good at being a witness because she'd carry his Bible, and I don't know always what he, she would say, but um, I kind of let that be up to her what he, she said. But she'd come back and said, I told him today. And uh, Cal has a very special place for Emily because of that. But, yeah, so I went there that afternoon because um, his wife had surgery, and so I was just checking in on them. And I said, how are you doing today, Cal? Or how's your, how's your afternoon? And he's like, great, after a morning like this, how could it not be great? So I could just see the joy what the church service did for him. So Wonderful. Well, Emily, I am so proud of you. You guys proud of Emily? No, you can stay there. You can stay there. Good. Good. I, it just reminds me again, this is why we're here. You and I have neighbors, and the question was asked of Jesus, who is my neighbor? And we know who it is. It's the person you're going to work beside tomorrow the driver of the car next to you, the one that lives near you. We know all of those things. But how about we take this and say, I'm going to pray for my neighbor, and I'm going to invite them to know Jesus, and I'm going to take them a Bible, and I'm going to do whatever it takes so they don't go to hell. Wow. Wow. Do you think that makes Jesus happy? Yes. I do too. I do too. You guys think that makes Jesus happy? Yeah. So, invite a friend. Invite a friend. Talk to a friend. Let's be light out there, right? Good. Let's stand together, shall we? Hey, Emily, do you think you can close us in prayer? Sure. Okay, let's pray together, church. Dear God, thank you for this day. Thank you that we could go to church and worship you. Thank you that um, I could talk to everybody. Amen. 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 Good job. All right, your assignment, read the book of Ecclesiastes. Stay warm. Have a great week. Praise God.